This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Thanks, David. Well, glory. If you read this passage of Scripture right here, I want to say to you that I don't have to lose heart because I have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I saw his goodness almost eight weeks ago when the church agreed to allow our pastor to take a knee, to allow God to restore and renew him, to give him this time at sabbatical. So thank you for letting God use you in this circumstance. I'm excited for what God is doing in Thurman's life, but I'm even more excited to see what God has done with us while he's been gone. See, he did not leave us pastorless or preacherless. He raised up two men of able body. Well, one man of able body (laughs) and another one laser focused to stand in the gap. And I'm gonna look at you, Wilson, and I wanna look at you, David, and I'm gonna say to you, thank you, on behalf of my heart and the hearts of all these who sit here. God has used you greatly. You have wept with those who weep. You have rejoiced with those who rejoice. You have stood in the gap, and we thank you. He didn't leave us preacherless either. Think about it. Right after Thurman left, Wilson stood up to preach. Preached out of Proverbs 7. Gave us a powerful word on abiding in the word so the evil one would not draw us away as he works so easily to do some days. Thank you for that. Right behind him, Dr. Pompin comes and shares with us out of Psalm 100. And he gives us the word on making a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. He tells us, enter in his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. He tells us how important it is to stay connected with God through thanksgiving. Then right behind that, Wilson comes with two chapters out of Kings. Seventy-some verses. You didn't have to preach on all of them, I know you didn't. But he's talking to us about the tale of two kings. And the difference between those kings and how one king stayed connected, didn't put anything before him or beside him, and he was successful. Powerful stuff. And then behind that, David comes. David knows full well that we are all followers of something or someone until we meet Christ. It is then we become leaders. And as such, we will either lead people to Christ or away from him. So what does he do? He preaches the word out of Timothy and gives us insight as to what it is to be a solid spiritual leader. Characteristic qualities that we should all employ. Then behind him, Dr. Jones Jordan, I gotta, I'm looking at him and I'm saying, thank you. Because he gives us a powerful word out of Ecclesiastes that tells us there is nothing in this life that provides satisfaction. Striving after pleasure doesn't. Striving after education doesn't. Striving to be a workaholic doesn't. Because all those things uh, leave us in want. 
and make us thirsty again. The only satisfaction comes in remembering your creator in the days of your youth. And honoring him, holding him in awe, and keeping his commands. Thank you for sharing that word. Made a difference in our lives. And then right behind him, Dr. Autry comes and he talks to us about providing for people who are in need by handing hope to hope-hungry people. The guy that was on the steps at the temple. Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. And he spoke words of healing in Jesus' name and totally transformed his life. And he talked to us about the importance of pressing on. All of these guys work together to keep us connected with God. Then David finally comes and takes us to a whole new level of spiritual growth and development, that we're responsible for our own growth. And then Adam, Timothy, and also responsible to call others to growth. So thank you for that word. Now, as I sat back and read through what they did, and I did, I read through all of them and listened to all of them, I realized that God was doing three things. First, he was showing, you gotta look at the slides, it's really cool. Get to the picture, there it is. There's a picture that's worth a thousand words. That's what God was doing. Got it? And you're looking at it just like I did going, what in the world is that picture saying? Come on, go with me here. I saw that thing at Disney World, what is that? Well, what they did is they worked together to call us to stay on the narrow path of righteousness. That's a pretty narrow path right there, right? To invite others to join us on that path, no matter how old or how young they are. Look at who's sitting in the seats. And then to keep moving forward. I hope today to be able to continue that. Because see, this is the challenge of God to each one of us. To stay on the narrow path of righteousness, to invite people with us, and to keep moving forward forward. We're going to take a look at Samson today. And if I was going to title this message, it would simply be titled, It Ain't Over Till It's Over. And we'll talk a little bit about, a little more about that in just a minute, but I got to tell you a story. The two words, the last two words I heard were, suit yourself. These are words spoken from my dear wife, as we are preparing to leave Alaska on a four-leg journey from Fairbanks to Anchorage, Anchorage to Seattle, Seattle to Chicago, Chicago to Norfolk, Virginia, with a five, six, and seven-year-old. You with me? She says to me prior to those last two words, you should take yourself another pair of clothes. I'm looking at four bags I have to carry. And three kids, five, six, and seven that come from my loins. So you know full well they're ADHD. And they have a rambunctiousness that just ain't gonna quit. And so you're praying to yourself, Lord, please grant us grace through these moments. And I decided as the male I am, I don't need another pair of clothes. 
suit yourself. And so we're out the door at zero dark 30 in the morning because when you fly out of Alaska, you got to fly out really early. And so we flew out, and on the first leg of the journey, I look over. My lovely wife's asleep. My son's asleep beside her. My daughter Christy is asleep beside him. And then there's Melissa, the seven-year-old, sitting beside me, who cannot sleep and has a coloring book with the double pack of crayons and coloring up a storm. All I want to do is sleep. You with me? Just let me leave for just a minute. No. Color. And then she comes up with these words. You ready? Dad, I'm hungry. Well, Mom packed a few things in one of these four bags. Let me see if I can. I don't want that much cereal. You ever had a kid that asked you for something you don't have? You ever notice how they get when, they, when you don't have? Well, we just don't have that. But I want cereal. <laughs> so I'm asked the stewardess, ma'am, do you guys happen to have cereal? And she said, yeah, we got those little boxes, but we only have Cheerios. I went, oh, okay. And I tell Melissa, it's just Cheerios. She said, well, you could get some sugar in and put on them. That was back when you were a bad parent, you know, and you put sugar in their milk. So I'm sitting there, and she brings me that little carton of milk, a little bowl, because she was very kind in a spoon, and a box of cereal. So I open the cereal up. Now we're sitting on the bulkhead seat. Everybody understands that. The bulkhead seat has the trays that has the one tray that does the flapping on the end of it. You with me? If you fly in airplanes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I get the bowl set up and I get the cereal in and I get the, and I get the milk and the sugar and everything's good. And I take her coloring book and her crayons and put on there and I give it to her. She eats seven bites. That's the number of perfection in case any of you are wondering. She had perfectly enough cereal, and then she said, I'd like to color some more, so I get the crayons and the coloring book and transfer the bowl with sugar milk and Cheerios to my tray and give her the coloring book. I'm helping her get situated, and about that time, we hit a little bit of turbulence. Are you with me? My tray is doing the flapping thing. As I'm getting ready to turn back, what happens? The bowl of Cheerios with cereal milk, I mean with milk and sugar in it, plops in my lap. This is at zero dark 30 in the morning. This is not something you want that early in the morning. And it's just there. And you know, you hit you and you're, well... And I look to my right, and there's a guy trying his best not to laugh. And I looked at him, I said, if I was in your shoes, I would be laughing. I understand why I'm not, but you should be laughing. As I'm picking Cheerios out of my pants and putting back in the bowl. You're with me here, right? You're experiencing all that I'm feeling on the inside. He says, that's why I don't have kids. And I said, that's why I do. They make life so exciting. And the waiter, waitress, the stewardess saw what happened. So what does she do? She goes in the back, grabs some soda water and a towel and comes and stands in front of me. 
with soda water and a towel. I'm looking at her, I'm not thinking that the soda water could serve as a catalyst to break the milk down so that I didn't have to worry about the odiferous smell and the crunchiness that goes with milk with sugar in it. So I said to her, I have plenty of liquid in my pants. All I need is the towel. And I dried off as best I could on the first leg of the journey. You know what I heard at that moment once I got it all out of my pants as best I could? You should have got you another pair of change of clothes. And then suit yourself. Now from that, I learned a very valuable lesson. Oh, by the way, when you do wear crunchy milk and you're gonna be in it all day, your pants take on a mind of their own. They were waving at people in the airport because of the crunchy milk. But I learned a very valuable lesson at that time and it was this. I have never met any person that set out with a plan to fail, including myself but I met numerous who didn't plan not to. Samson was one of those guys. If I was to unfold Samson's life through all four of these chapters in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16, I would tell you that it sounds like this. He got the call, his life was a squall, he made a fall, And then there's a point to it all. I asked David to read the point to it all. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But you got to take a look at Samson's life. Samson was a person who was set apart by God from the very beginning of his life. Not through him, but through his mama. She met an angel one day and went home and told her husband. And he was good looking. And then her husband prayed to God, send him back. It's all in verse, or chapter 13. God sent him back. Worked a perfect understanding for Manoah to understand what was going on in Samson's life. And so they agreed to this Nazarite vow. Now, I know of only two Nazarite vows. And if you have any questions about that, Jordan is here. Please be sure to ask him about it. But if you have any questions about that, as I understand it, there are two in the Old Testament, Samuel and uh, Samson, and one in the New. That's John the Baptist all set apart from their birth. God had a plan for them. And his plan was a solid plan, except there was Samson, okay? Anyway, his mom and dad agreed, everything was good. And then we skip from what happened in his birth and the calling right into the squall in chapter 14. Samson's life starts out. And if I was to tell you how this unfolds, it's really cool. It starts with bragging and ends with nagging. Okay? That's like a lot of marriages. People, No, I, I didn't say that. I really didn't say that. Anyway, Samson had fallen in love with a Philistine woman. He did because God had moved in him, and he wanted, God wanted to do something with the Philistines through this event. So Samson said to his dad, I need you to go get this woman for me. That's pretty cheap, wasn't it? <laughs> It'd be kind of nice if you did it. Hey, can you go get that one for me? And so he went down, talked to the woman, worked things out. They came back, and then they were on their way back down for the wedding feast. And on the first journey on the way down, there was a lion that jumped out. And Samson just simply ripped the lion apart. It says the Spirit of the Lord fell upon him. 
And he ripped them apart like a lot of little kids do with doll babies and Barbie dolls, you know, right when they first get them. You see a leg here, leg here, you know, head over there, and there's a torso. What happened to this? So Samson ripped it apart. There it was laying. And on the way back, after they did the first journey, bees had decided to build a nest. And they built honey into it. That's what bees do. So Samson reaches in, grabs the honey, starts to eat it, goes home. I mean, goes to link up with his folks, gives them honey. They didn't know where it come from. They didn't know he killed a, a lion. But he thought of a neat little riddle. So if I was going to tell you something about the Bible and Batman, Samson was the first riddler. So he gets to him, and he says to his companions who were supposed to be a part of this event for seven days, he said, I'm going to share with you a riddle. If you can get the riddle within seven days, I'm going to give you 30 pieces of, silver, or 30 pieces of linen and a change of clothes for 30 people. But if you can't, then you're going to give me that. He bet them. You with me? And so the guys, being stupid as guys are sometimes, they said, we'll take you up on that one. And so he says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And he sent them on their way. But the third day into it, they weren't getting it. They couldn't get it. And they were worried that they were going to have to lose 30 pieces of linen and 30 sets of clothes. So in other words, they had to find another way to get it because their intelligence was lacking. What'd they do? Just what any cow would do. They went and threatened his wife. Told her, we're going to kill you and your daddy and your family if you don't coax him to tell us what this riddle is. Scripture says she cried for the entire seven days. Do you know how to really affect a man, ladies? Come on, talk to me, guys. How do they affect you? They start crying. Seven days worth of crying. I know full well Samson was having a moment then. And it finally says in the scripture that he gave in. You got to keep those words in mind. He gave in, told her what the riddle was, and they came and told Samson, what is sweeter than honey? What is more strong than a lion? And Samson was indignant because he knew somebody cheated somewhere. And he realized that he's the dummy that told his wife because he hadn't even told his parents. And she told them, and they told him, and he was mad. And he goes on to use these words. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, let me just pause right there. Gentlemen, the use of this terminology in a 21st century home can be hazardous to your health. <laughs> if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have got the answer. So what does Samson do? He goes and kills 30 Philistines, takes, takes their linen, takes their clothes, and gives it to the cheaters. So he really did, wasn't out of anything. But he was a little angry, and he went home. And when he went home during this squall, this brief commotion in his life, or the brief commotion in the life of the Philistines, he gets back, and he decides, maybe I was wrong, so he decides he's going to go back and see his wife, so he takes what? A goat. 
Now, I know that would woo you ladies. I know it for sure. I can imagine him going down there with a goat hanging around his head, going to meet up with her and say, hey, baby, you're the greatest of all time. Here's your goat. You think that came from some football player somewhere. I got to quit. Anyway, so he hands it. He goes down there, and the father says, I can't let you go in. And Samson says, why? She's my wife. And all of a sudden now there's a battle going on. And the father had given the wife to one of the cheating companions because he didn't think Samson was coming back. This fried Samson. You with me? So fried Samson goes and picks up 300 foxes, not two legs, but four. And he ties them together. And he puts a torch between their tails, lights them, and tells them, run through the fields and they're running through the fields and they're burning up everything their grain their stocks their their uh, uh vineyards the grapes gives a whole new meaning to catch the foxes before they ruin the grapes the little foxes before they destroy the vineyards that's over in solomon in case you wonder and all of us now once he's done that and that has occurred in his life then that ticked the philistines off and so they said who did this and they said the son-in-law of the Temanite. and they went and did what they killed his wife and killed the father took them all out this really made samson angry are you catching this this is a tit for tat uh, quid pro quo we talked about that in sunday school this morning it was a back and forth you did this to me so i'm gonna do this to you and you did this to me and i'm gonna do this to you, you ever notice that when you're in an argument with somebody you just do that it's just natural unless there's something in there to break it so he had to get one up on him he lit into him says he killed very many and then he went off into a cave and eat them and he sat there, and I think Samson was going through a time of depression, a time of grief, a time of frustration, and he was doing it all by himself. Philistines weren't done yet, so they came out to find him. They found him. They lined up in Lehi. They were going to destroy Samson. The men of Judah came out and said, what are you all gathering out here for? Are you here to kill us? And they said, nope, we're here to take Samson. So the men of Judah decide that it's probably best that we get Samson and give him to him than it is that they do what they're going to do. So they went to Samson, 3,000 strong, and said, we're going to take you, bind you, and give you to them. Samson said, you're not going to kill me, are you? They said, nope, we're going to let them do that. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. And so they take him, and they bind him, and they put him in front of the Philistines. I'm sure they backed out of the picture and the Philistines come charging Samson and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Those things that bound him broke off. And I mean, he reached over and grabbed the bone of a donkey, the jaw of a donkey. And he hee-hawed his way through 1,000 Philistines. And he got thirsty. And God gave him drink and refreshed him. But he still wasn't past his depression and the other things he was contending with. So he went to Gaza to find solace with someone. Didn't work with the first one, and then he met the second one. Her name was? Y'all go with me. What was her name? Delilah. She was the delight of his life. Something about her made Samson think that she was his soulmate. How do we use that? To, I've met my soulmate. Only soulmate we really need to meet is Christ Jesus. After that, you know, it's just all up in the air. 
But for Samson, she was the girl. And all of a sudden, now these guys that were there as the Philistines, there's five provincial leaders, they decide that they would use a new technique and they're gonna tell Delilah, hey, we'll pay you 1,100 shekels of silver. We were talking about silver in Sunday school this morning. That's a lot of money, folks. If you go over to chapter 17 in Judges, you'll find that Micah was gonna pay a Levite 10 shekels a year annual salary to live in his house and be the spiritual leader. So if you do the math, that woman was about to gain 550 years worth of annual income. She's probably singing, I'm in the money, going to cost my honey. No, anyway. So you could see where she was at that moment. All she could see was the money. Didn't see Samson. Didn't see what God was doing through Samson. Didn't want to. And they came. And she won because of what? Scripture says, she nagged him and nagged him and nagged him till he got tired of it and gave in. And then she had somebody come and cut his hair. And then we begin the fall. Because she said, the Philistines are upon you. He's going to go out and say, I got this. You ever notice somebody so confident in themselves? I got this. And then they realize they don't. I mean, that's funny. I, 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 let's go with that. That's really funny. They, ah, and he's out there. And then all of a sudden, they decide they're going to gouge his eyes out. At least he doesn't need bifocals. That's a good thing. They're going to gouge his eyes out. They're going to shackle him in bronze so he can't break free. And they're going to put him to a grinding stone in the prison. And he's going to come, become for them a beast of burden. And they were going to praise their God who delivered Samson to them. But the scripture says, and I, you can't skip past it. It's really powerful. And I really encourage you to read these four chapters. It says, and Samson's hair continued to grow. That should say something to you. Because see, what that tells us is God is faithful no matter what. And while we might fail him sometimes, he doesn't. And so the question is, what is it that caused us to fail him? I contend that is the very issue that we have not developed a plan. If you go back, go ahead and skip to the next thing. If you go back to this picture, the, in order to stay on the path, one must stick with a plan. You see that little thing in front of the car right there? That's a track. You don't see much of it, but I call that a plan because it's what holds the vehicle on the track. It is there for the vehicle. We need a plan. Everybody thinks I can plan for my day, and yes, you can, because the day is 24 hours long. You can set up whatever you want, but the plan is not for the day, because if you do that, you're focused on the day. I'm talking about a plan for yourself in the middle of the day. Because in reality, if we don't plan how we're going to respond, what life offers to us in the middle of a day, guess what? The day's gonna win, the circumstances are gonna win. That plan becomes, as it were, the stake for the tetherball. Anybody ever play tetherball? Isn't it great? I love it. You stand there and bounce a ball around just to watch it go back to what? 
What? Help me. I don't want you sleeping. I don't want you to wake up. What? It's going back to the stake. No matter what, you can hit it all kinds of different ways, but no matter how you spin it, left or counterclockwise, clockwise, it's always going back to the stake. And see, for that, for us, that's what a plan is. So when we plan out our day, we should start with ourselves first. So how do you develop a plan? First, you need to determine your purpose. Do you really know what your purpose is today? Can I share with you real simple, based on what everybody has been speaking of in the last eight weeks? Your purpose is to acknowledge God first and to acknowledge who you are in him and then to commit yourself to allowing God to do what he wants to do through you. Isn't that pretty cool? It's really simple. APC. Acknowledge God Acknowledge your place in him, then commit to doing what he calls you to do. That's what determining your purpose is. God gave me something a long time ago that I have, uh, I got it during a particularly hard time in my life. And I realized that, you know, a lot of times we're called to get up in the morning and read 800 chapters of scripture to get ourselves ready for the day. A lot of people don't have time for that. And if there's 800 chapters in there, we're going to have fun with that. The truth of the matter is, we got to have something simple and succinct to start our day with. So God gave me one. You ready for this? It's called a gift. Do you realize that you are a gift to God? That when Christ, who is God's gift to us, died on the cross and through his spirit drew you to himself... And you, by faith, accepted him as personal Lord and Savior. Then he presented you as his gift back to the Father. Think about that. You are Jesus Christ's gift to the Father. That's pretty powerful. And when you present yourself a gift to God then God presents you as a gift to humanity. So you answer the question, what do you think? You're God's gift to humanity? Well, yes, I am. Thank you for asking. But not in an arrogant, haughty, narcissistic kind of way, but rather in a humble, loving, servant-minded kind of way. That's being a gift to God. Paul says it, I I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or flesh out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when you present yourself a gift to God, you acknowledge who's God. Listen to this. I want you to go through these four as I go through it, or three as I go through it. God is God. God, your God, no matter what. I am yours, no ifs, ands, or buts. Facilitating your work, my purpose and plan. Trusting you by faith, my goal to the end. This becomes for a believer when you determine your purpose in the morning and you lay that out for yourself. This becomes your QRF. 
Everybody's wondering, what in the world is a QRF? Well, in the military, let me tell you real quick. Whenever we establish an operational environment within an urban, urban setting, Army-wise, I don't want to talk about Navy or anybody else because they're much smarter than we are. But anyhow, we set up an area and we establish a QRF, which is a quick reaction force, so that if anything rises up against what's happening in the environment, this force goes to quell it. Well, for me, this becomes a quick reaction filter. So when the evil one, and I'm going to tell you, the evil one's going to set out to destroy you, the quick reaction filter is you say to whatever it is that's tearing you down or beating you up, God, you're God no matter what. I am yours, no ifs, ands, or buts, facilitating your work, my purpose and plan, trusting you by faith, my goal to the end. That's how I respond to those things in life that can be pretty painful sometimes. That is my purpose every day. Second, know what your limitations are. Brothers and sisters, you got them. Admit it. None of us like to admit a, a weakness. Samson had a weakness for women. David also. Samson also had a pride issue. Delilah had an issue for money. Every one of us have got limitations. The smart person is to know them, but not to allow them to become limiting realities. I'm reminded of a guy who took his daughter to the park. Hilarious. Takes her to the park. She walks up. All the people are swinging, having fun, sliding down the slides. She decides, I want to swing. Dad, can you put me on the swing so we can swing? So she goes over and... The dad says, do you need me to help you? And she says, no, I got this. Remember those words. So she's sitting on the thing and she's trying to go. Well, when she does her body forward, her legs are coming forward too. You with me? So she... Now, you know she's getting frustrated right about now. And so in a moment of frustration, she screams out, Dad, come help me do this myself. <laughs> and I say, honestly, that was a phenomenal prayer on her part because she knew she had a part in it, but she needed help because there's a bit of a limitation. But it didn't become a limited reality because she called on her dad to make a difference. And if we being evil know how to do good things for our children, how much more does our father know how to do that with us if we call upon him? They that call upon the name of the Lord shall be, and you can finish that for me. That's the word. Then third, make yourself accountable. Samson had two people in his life that he could make himself accountable to it, and yet when you read through it, he never did. It was his dad and his mom that knew what was going on in his life from the very beginning because it started with them. All I got to say is the A in the word lead represents accountability. Without it, you're simply led by self-power, by self-pleasure, by self-promotion, by self-whatever. Don't Forget the power of accountability. And this is how Samson failed. And that's what happened. 
But you see the point of it all that I referred to earlier? God sometimes knows that we are going to have moments like that where we hiccup, where we allow setbacks. But those who develop a plan for themselves know that the N in the word plan stands for the word never. Never, never, never allow failure to be a final option. Never allow a setback to win. Because God is not a God of people who lose. He's a God of winners. And so I would say to you, this is what happened with Samson. When they asked him to come and perform, he did. And he gave them a show that brought the house down. All in a very simple prayer. God, remember me. And do in me what I can't do myself. God, help me do this myself with you. That's powerful. I think Calvin Coolidge said it better than anybody. He said, nothing in this world can take the place of persistent. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. He goes on to say, genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. No. Persistence and determination are omnipotent. He goes on to say that the slogan, get that now, a political guy, the slogan, press on, has solved and will always solve the problems of the human race. So press on, you child of God. Press on in developing that plan in your life. Press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on in making yourself a gift and presenting it to God daily. And press on as God presents you back to this world to stay on that narrow path of righteousness, to invite others with you on the path, and to keep moving forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. As you pray that you bless your word as we pray, and I pray that you will work in the hearts of your children, that you will grant us wisdom daily to develop a plan for ourselves, to determine our purpose, to know our limitations, to make ourselves accountable not only to you, but to someone that's close to us, and to never allow failure to be a final option. Satan's goal for each one of us, since he knows he can't pluck us out of your hand, his goal is to get us to give in, as Samson did, to give out, or to give up. You haven't called us to any of those things. You have called us to life, to living, and to handing hope to people in Jesus' name.
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.